Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, this New Year's Eve, in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. God is awfully good to us, is He not? He loves to bless His people. He looks on us and He watches us. And He blesses us in little ways that He doesn't have to. You know... Lots of religions of the world who have their idea of God. God is the opposite of a personal God. If you ever listen to Francis Schaeffer, he talks about this idea of a personal God. And what, what he means by this is not personal as in the God of your own making, but personal in the fact that He cares about you. That we can see Him as large, and mighty, and important, and vast, and the transcendent. We can see Him that way. But He can love us, and He can count the hairs on our head. He can notice when we're having a rough time scrubbing the bottom of that pot out, or when we're on the side of the road with a flat tire. God cares about that. He's not too big to care about those things. Amen? Amen. And He cares about what you like, and about what you want. And He provides these blessings for us. We're going to be talking about that today. And in Psalm 58, the Scripture, the psalmist tells us here that God has rewards for righteousness. And when we pursue God, we can expect Him to reward our efforts to please Him. Psalm 58 says, Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. Yea, weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent, and they are like the deaf adder that stops her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth, and break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters run continually. When he bends his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail which melteth, let every one of them that pass by pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away with the whirlwind, both living and in His wrath. But the righteous shall rejoice when he sees these things. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that man shall say, Verily, there is a reward. Everybody say, There is a reward. reward. For the righteous. Verily, He is a God that judges the earth. Let us pray. Our great God, we come before you today as your people, humbled that you have invited us into your presence to share this day with you. Excited for the opportunity to speak to you and to have you speak to us. Lord, we come before you with unclean hands and unclean lips, having sinned and 
and thought and said things that we shouldn't say, but we know, we know that you are able to purge us, that you are able to cleanse us, that you are able to do like you did with the prophet when you took the coal from, when the angel took the coal from the altar and, and placed it upon his mouth. Lord, purify us today. Make us people of clean hands and hearts, O oh God. Fill us with your spirit that we may think righteous thoughts and do righteous deeds, O oh Lord. Lord, we long to hear your voice so that we may follow you because that is what we long for, O oh God, to be led by you, led into wherever you may lead us beside still waters, Lord, into green pastures, Lord, and even through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we will follow you wherever you lead us. And we pray today that you would speak to us and lead us into a better place. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. standing as uh, we read our text today from the book of Luke chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> last week was the birth of Christ. This week is that in-between period. And next week, as we end our Advent season, we will end it with Epiphany. And uh, this time period that we're going to cover in the life of Christ again uh, <clears throat> is when he is a little fellow, a little baby. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32, I will read for you my text. My message today is called The Rewards of Righteousness. The Rewards of Righteousness. Luke 2, starting in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all thy people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. Let us pray. Lord, you are so good to us to give us your word. Lord, we look into it not as those who look into stories or fables, but we look into it longing and listening for your voice. For we are your people and we love to hear your words and we want to be led by them. And today, I pray that you would illuminate them and it would lead us into the way we should walk. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Righteousness has its own rewards. Uh, I don't know when I started saying that, but I say that and it's kind of... Maybe other people say it. I don't know. But I say this all the time. Righteousness. Everybody say it with me. Righteousness has its own rewards. Okay? Basically what that means is that doing good is a reward in and of itself. Does that make sense? Pragmatically doing right and doing good according to God's word is going to benefit you. You're going to live longer. You're going to be happier. You're going to be at peace with people as a rule. Righteous living is a reward in itself. We are rewarded with the peace of conscience. We are rewarded with the blessing of benefits in our life because of this righteousness. Salvation, though, is not one of them. And we're always quick to point this out. Our righteousness, our efforts to live right and to do right and godly are not done so that we can earn with God salvation. We can never do that, right? Right. The Bible says this. It says, and we all know this, but we'll repeat it. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Everybody say, that's not of me. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough to save myself. And so you might even ask, so why be good at all? We cannot and we don't save ourselves. Salvation is a free gift given to us from the goodness and mercy of God for His own glory. If He had not brought us from darkness and death, we would have never longed to be in His light. We spend a lot of time on this subject, and we should, so that none of us go beyond and boast, as our good brother was reading in uh, Romans chapter 3. There's nothing to boast about. We are not going to stand in the presence of other people or in the presence of God and boast about our goodness. This is pointless because our goodness, the source of it is not us. If it were up to us, we would be, as it said in, in uh, Romans 3 and it says other places, our mouth would be an open sepulcher. It would be, what would come out of our mouths would be death and destruction and division. You know what would happen if you didn't control your mouth and you said exactly what you wanted when you wanted to say it? A lot of bad things. Many believe that they can, though, earn God's favor by their good works and in doing so win salvation. These people stand in direct contrast to God's Word. The Bible says, as we know, that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should uh, be blameless and holy. In Ephesians chapter 1, it lays out this doctrine very clearly. Romans 9, 1 Peter 1. All of these chapters are so blatant and so in our face that our righteousness does not earn our salvation. It is a core pillar of our most holy faith. It strikes at the very heart of the story of the Bible. God is good and we are, we are not. God is good and we are not. He is merciful and we need His mercy. In spite of all of our sins, knowing all the sins that we do in our lifetime... He has still prepared a place for us, for His elect people in heaven. He still went to the cross for us, knowing that even if He washed us in His blood, we would still continue to live a sinful life. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. How many of you have been unkind to your brother or sister this week? How many of you, even after getting your uh, good things for Christmas maybe that you got, you wanted something that somebody else got instead of what you got, or you weren't thankful, or it wasn't the right color, or whatever. Any of that got on? Probably. God blesses us and still yet, He loves us even though He knows we're going to do all these things that we do. Some things we do are even worse. Now, at the same time, this doctrine can be misunderstood and give us the idea that there's no real point in working hard to live good and righteous. In fact, some people make fun of this. And I've even seen some people I know real close, even maybe uh, tempted to make fun of Elsie Densmore. How many, how many of you like Elsie? I'll raise my hand high. I love Elsie Densmore. Now, you might go, well, now, you know, she's so righteous. Nobody's ever like that. Well, you know what? I like her. In fact, she reminds me of me when I was a kid. Now, you might go, now, come on, you weren't, you weren't a girl. Well, no, I wasn't a girl, but I wanted to please God. Elsie, even though she's a fictional character, it sounds like what she wants most of anything is to please God. She's even willing to defy her own father. And even maybe in some of the things that she did, she was even foolish in that, but she loved the Lord. There's something lovely about righteous, living people who desire to please God. Now, there's something very ugly about people who have confidence in it, right? We just quoted out of, out of uh, Philippians chapter 3. He said, if we, if we have our confidence in that as we go before the Lord, our confidence is misplaced. But that doesn't mean that righteousness has no point. It has no purpose. It has no reward. It has all of those things. Righteousness has its own reward. So what are they? Are they worth working hard for? Paul asked the question another way in Romans 3. What advantage then had the Jew or what profit had circumcision? And you know what he answered, Luke? He said, much every way. So he's saying, if the Jew isn't saved by circumcision, if he isn't saved by the righteousness of the law, then what was the point? Was there anything good that came out of it? And Paul said, all kinds of good comes from it. Amen? I mean, just the simple fact that in the law, it teaches us to wash our hands. You might say, well, that's really silly. Washing your hands is huge. 
Washing your hands can stop an epidemic. It can keep your family from being sick. It can save you from a lot of trouble if you just wash your hands. Well, the law talks about washing when you touch dead things and washing when you do this and do that. And when you're sick, how to behave yourself. There are lots of practical blessings to righteousness that are really just a reward in themselves. But now that's really not what I'm going to focus on today. But righteousness has many different rewards. It has rewards even just in doing them. We have a better life. So in what ways, you might ask. Now these answers or questions are a big part of what I'm going to talk to you about in my text today. So let's take a look at it and see what we find. Here in Luke chapter 2, we know where we're at. We're in the story. We're at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and we're hearing the story about the birth of Jesus, what many of us call the Christmas story. In fact, let's back up a bit from our text to an important part of the story, often overshadowed by the other elements. I mean, you have an angel coming. You have a woman giving birth to a baby. Uh, you know, all of these angels are showing up and all this stuff. And we miss some little things that are important parts of the story. So let's look at these two verses uh, in, in uh, the early part of the story here about Joseph and Mary. Everybody say, Joseph and Mary. These are the man, this is the man and the woman that God chose to be his parents on earth. Could you imagine God choosing you for something like that? that wouldn't that be a great honor? I mean, if you were going to be chosen for a lot of things, you know, I think it's an honor to be chosen to lead a church. It's an honor. It makes me go, wow, you know, Lord, I, I really, I really, really want to be that kind of man. Lord, I, you really are honoring me and allowing me to do this. Could you imagine being picked to be the father, Andy, can you do uh, The father of Jesus. I mean, that's pretty huge, right? Or the mother of Jesus. You're not only, not only the, you know, basically like the stepdad or the, the I don't know what you want, the adopted father, the whatever you want to call it. But the actual physical carrier of the baby in her body, united with the body of a human being, Christ. Could you imagine, women, here, you guys have had babies and you've had good kids. You, you know, you like your kids, right? But imagine, Amy, if it was the Lord God himself made flesh. Can you think of any greater honor that could be offered any woman on earth? I cannot. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Everybody say just man. Just. Not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privately. If you remember after the angel told Joseph what to do, he did it. Sounds simple enough, but that's what righteousness is. Doing what God says. Righteousness isn't really that hard. If you're told to do this, then you do that. And that's what you do. That's what righteousness is. Right living. So that's what he did. Joseph was a just man. God picked a just man. The kind of man who was kind to women. Kind to women who may have even sinned and done wrong as far as he knew. He hadn't been spoken to by an angel yet. And he sees this young girl that he's about to marry and that she's pregnant. And he could have been the kind of guy to bring the hammer down, to humiliate her, to make a public example. But he was a good, sweet, righteous, and merciful man. And that's the kind of man that God chose to, to be the father of Jesus as he lived on this earth. This is what righteous people do. Proverbs 15.3 says that God sees us. Everybody say, God sees me. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every haste, every place, beholding the evil and the good that men do. God is watching us. Now, a lot of times when we hear the phrase that God is watching us, many of us are kind of looking over our shoulder like, wow, I hope you didn't see that, you know. Like some of our kids, you know, they look left, they look right, they put their hand on the cookie jar, right? You know, they grab the little car, you know, they don't see dad, and one of the kids walks by, and one goes, whack, and hits the other one. Does this ever happen to your house? You know? Does it ever happen with you? You think nobody's looking? And we worry, we think when we hear God is watching, we're wondering, oh, man, the things he's seeing. But there's another element to God is watching. And you know what the other element is, Benita? God is watching. He sees 
when we want to serve Him, when we want to please Him, when we, when we grieve over our own sinfulness, when we do the hard and difficult thing, God is watching. Not just seeing our sin, but seeing how we pursue Him, how we give secretly to others, how we long to please Him, how we bear injustice and hardship with thankful hearts. God sees all of this, and He is not a Father who lacks the desire or the ability to reward them that do well. I was asking the men up here, how about you as parents? How many of you parents uh, are eagerly looking for your child to do something good? I am, I can tell you that. And I was telling my wife the other day, I'm like, if my kids only knew, you know, if they only knew how I'm looking and I'm hoping, because I, I am just wanting to reward them. I'm just looking for a reason to bless them. I love my kids. I love my my little girls and, and, and my sons. I love them. And so when they do good, I in my, in my heart, I'm like, oh, thank God, I can, I, I can bless them. I can do good things for them. God is watching. You know? Where's Rebecca? There's Rebecca back there, back way back, way, way there, back in the door, almost out of the out of the church. You know, Daddy misses all the things you do. I know you work hard at our house to organize things, to clean things up. She organized one of our cupboards this week. And, and you know what? Dad's not like God. I missed that. I didn't know she did it. It's, you know, I, didn't, I don't go around and open the cupboards and go, you know, I think Rebecca's been here and organized that. You know? I wasn't home or whatever, and she did it. But God doesn't miss it. God was right there, Rebecca. He was right there watching you organize that thing and make it nice for our home and our family because that brings peace and better efficiency and beauty into our home. God sees that. Daddy misses it, and as a result, I go around thinking you don't do anything, but God doesn't miss it. Do you see what, we're, do you see what I'm getting to? God sees, Corinne, what you do. Everyone in this church doesn't know what you're doing every single day. They imagine, they think, but do you know God is right there? He's there when you're holding that little one and no one's around and you're tired and you're doing the work that is really beyond your years, but he's given you to do. And he sees that. He sees you crying out in prayer to him and saying, oh, Lord, help me to be a good example to my older brothers and sisters and to care for them and to fill a role that I've been given. God sees it. He's watching. Luke 1.27 says, God sent the Gabriel, Gabriel the archangel, to a virgin. Everybody say, a virgin. Now, I think it's important here that when it introduces Mary, it mentions she's a virgin before it even says her name. You might go, well, I don't really, you know, and, and we could be practical about it. Well, you know, this was important, and we'll get to that. But God sent Gabriel the archangel to a virgin. Now, maybe you're a little kid and maybe you don't understand what that is, but a virgin is a woman who has never been married, okay? Not only that, but she's uh, a girl who was careful not to share her affections of her heart and her body with any man before she was married. See, love, the deep affection, kisses, and, and more beautiful gifts of God, He has reserved for marriage alone. And God invites us to purity, to saving these things for marriage. But so oftentimes, uh, people share them outside of marriage, and this becomes a very ugly and sinful thing. Righteous living is living sexually pure. May we all endeavor to remain sexually pure in our hearts and our minds and our bodies as we serve the Lord. God sees those of you in this congregation who long for physical affection and go without it as you wait for God's timing or His will to give you this gift. Some of you have desires in your heart, and they're not wrong. They're just not, there's no place for that for you right now. Mary was righteous in her sexuality. And it's a big factor in the story. In fact, if she had not been righteous in this area of her life, she would not have been among the women God could have chosen. So here is a reward, right? So because she was pure, and because she was clean, and because she was a virgin, 
God could select her for a job that someone who wasn't could never be. So is that, is that a reward worth having? I think so. She could still be saved. Let's say she wasn't. Let's say she had done wrong. Does that mean she couldn't go to heaven? No, it didn't mean that. But it meant she was completely disqualified forever of carrying the Christ child. It was important that she was a virgin. That's what the scripture said would happen. Behold, a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child, and his name would be Jesus. This job could only be done by a righteous woman who was sexually pure. You see, God has special rewards for his children who trust him. Those who pray and ask him for self-control in this area and in others. Mary's reward was an amazing reward. She was called upon, especially selected to be the mother of the Messiah. What a reward. It is mixed with bitterness, though, since he was born with a destiny of death. But bittersweet because his brutal death would birth a holy nation. The church upon all of history would rest and turn. Gabriel said this to Mary in Luke 1.28. Hail, thou art highly favored. Highly favored. You know, God looks at his people and those people that are righteous, those people that are striving to know him, that love him, who pursue holiness, God looks at him and, and he's not looking in a way to be impressed like they've earned some great things, but he's looking to reward us. And he will reward us in our righteousness. Luke 1.30 says, Thou hast found favor with God. Some people might say, well, that's not salvation. No, it's not. I'm not, looking, I'm not looking to be rewarded with that. I've already been given that, Andy. God's already given me that. But you know what? I want God to look down on me and love me. And I want God to look at me and say, that man's doing right. He did it with Job. Remember that? He was proud of him. Now, I don't understand God in, in, in all of these respects, but God delighted in the righteousness of Job. You might go, well, I don't want God to delight in me that way. If you remember a little further back, even in, uh, in, in the story of the Christmas story, it starts with another couple. You remember Zacharias and Elizabeth? I looked them up, the parents of the forerunner of Christ. Remember, they were the, the parents of John the Baptist. It says in Luke chapter 1 verse 6, way at the very beginning of this little, this part about the birth of Christ, it says that these people were, verse 6 of Luke 1, they were both righteous before God. Say they were both righteous before God. They were walking in the commandments and ordinances. Say they were walking in the commandments and ordinances. Now, rules that have no point, following rules is one thing. Hey guys, following God's rules was a good thing here. Following God's law should be our heart every day. We should desire to read the Word of God, not so we can have knowledge, so we can have conversations. We should read the Word of God so we can know how to please God. What does God want from me? That's what righteous people do. They read the Word of God and they look in that and they say, how am I disobeying God's word? I want to change that. I want to obey God. Steve, I've talked to you about this. You know, when I was a kid, I would sit in church services and I would hear and all of a sudden a minister would say something and I would go, oh, I've been doing that wrong for a long time. I haven't really ever thought about that. Is that what the Bible says? And I didn't care land or sea or uh, whatever. I was going to do it. I, was, I wasn't going to wait until after the service. I was thinking, what, what, what could I do right now to completely shut this down, stop this, because I want to follow God. Has that ever happened with you? I hope so. I hope you're not just listening for interesting tidbits to discuss. I hope you're looking into the perfect law of liberty, examining yourself and say, how am I not obeying God's word? Now, are you starting to see a pattern? Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. What kind of people are these people? Everybody say they were righteous people. They were just people. They were devout people. They obeyed the laws. That's what kind of people God chose to be the mother of John the Baptist. That's the kind of people he chose to be the mother of the Christ child. Okay? So now let's go back and, and start just a few verses before our text here in Luke chapter 2. 
Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when the days were accomplished of the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. And when the days of your purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice, which was according to the law as well, a pair of turtle doves and of two pigeons. Once again, what are Mary and Joseph doing? Everybody says they're obeying the rules. God picked people who would follow the law closely. Mary and Joseph did just that. They were righteous. They took him when he was supposed to be circumcised. They took and they offered the proper sacrifice for him. That's what righteousness is. It's defined by understanding what God wants and doing it. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man, right? He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. But what is his delight, guys? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Why is he doing this? He's not doing it to be a sage. He's not doing it to be smart. He's not doing it to be a preacher or to be clever. In his law does he meditate day and night. Why? Because he loves it. In his law doth he meditate day and night. What kind of man is this going to be? This man's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be a righteous man. That's what righteous men do. They read God's word. They meditate on God's word. What do you meditate about? What do you think about? What do you fill your mind and your days with? If you want to be righteous, know the word of God. Hide it in your heart. Obey it, right? How does a young man cleanse his way? How is a man turned from being unrighteous to righteousness? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So as Joseph and Mary entered the temple according to the law of Moses, it says, verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. Simeon. You know, I want to be like this guy, Luke. I want to be like Simeon. I want to be 84 years old. I want to be a man who's loved God, who's lived right, who seeks to do it, who God is kind to and blesses because he loves me and because he's given me the ability to live a righteous life. That's what I want to be. I want to be an 84-year-old man. I want to be an 84-year-old man who's good and godly and sweet and merciful and loving and giving. That's what I want. And I got 20 years, baby, 20 years or Maybe more than that, 30 years. And then I'll be that. Okay, sweetie? And then you'll, you'll, you'll have a good husband. This man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon. The same was a just man. Everybody say he was a just man. Just devout man. Everybody say he was a devout man. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And if I was going to try to do a three-point sermon, I would say, what is being righteous? It's being just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is just toward other people. He is devout in his obedience to God. And he's living a life that is waiting and hoping and looking for what God has promised will come to pass. That's what a righteous man does. That's what righteous people are. Hebrews 9.28 says, Unto those who look for him shall he appear without sin unto salvation. If you're not looking for him, Around every corner, you won't see him. Some people go, these things happen to you, and God does these things for you. You know, if you're not looking for what God is going to do next, you probably are missing a lot that God is doing. If you don't see the things that come around the corner as coming from God, you miss his hand in your life to love and to bless you. Look for him. Keep your eyes open for him. Instead of looking down the road for the dread that is coming, that's faithlessness. And I'm guilty of that often, more often than not. I told my kids, I said, I know what I run on my gravestone. A man of faith who saw great miracles wrought in his life, but who was tormented by his lack of a belief. You might go, well, that's funny. Well, you know what? That's just as true as can be. God does all these wonderful things. And over and over again, I find my place going, oh, no. Oh, Lord. And I'm faithless and I don't believe, oh, I want to be like this guy. Looking for that blessed hope, it says in Titus, Paul said to the believers there, he said, believers would be looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of their great God and Savior. They would be looking for it. So dear old Simeon was just about looking for the coming of Jesus and God 
saw this. God heard his prayers and God rewarded this beautiful old saint. So how did he reward him? Now let's read about it in verse 26. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is amazing. When I tell the stories that I have in my life, I, I always am like, I, I don't even want to say it because they sound like who talks to God? Who, who, does God really talk to people? Well, I can tell you what, I don't know any other way that it could have happened. But God talked to this man. And somehow God let him know he was going to live. And he was going to live long enough to see the birth of the Christ child. I don't know if he spoke out loud. I don't know if he just had a feeling in his heart. I don't know. God's never spoken to me out loud. But there are things God speaks into my heart. And I'm telling you, if you're not praying and if you're not listening and if you're not looking, you won't hear them and you won't see them. But this man was looking and longing and living and hoping and, and God spoke to his heart. You know what? Hey, Simeon, you're going to live to see that day. Verse 27, it came. And then it says, he came by the spirit into the temple. Now, this is interesting to me. What does that even mean? He floated on a carpet? What does this mean? Well, I know what it means. You know, Andy, has God ever, by the Spirit, led you to... You didn't even know where you were going. All of a sudden, you're right there, right in the middle of the answer of your prayer. And you're just like... So if you were going to write about it, you know what you could say, Andy? You could say, and Andy came by the Spirit of God to Dare Dutchman. That's what it would be. How else did you get there? How else did they close the place down? How else did you get in line at that exact spot? How else did you go to the place? How else did you hear the words that you... How else? Well, by the Spirit of God. That's how it happened. And that's what God does. We don't know much about this man, uh, but his story fascinates me. There seems not to be anything great being fulfilled through Simeon here. You know how when things happen to, to uh, during this, it'll say, so that it might be fulfilled, right, Michael? It'll say, so that it might be fulfilled that the prophet said. I don't see anything being fulfilled here. I don't see anything happening in the story that is a great part of God tying up His revelation from the Old Testament to the New that they should have seen. You know what I see here, Luke? I see a guy who loves God, who prays, who is devout, who is kind to others, who is looking for something good to happen, and God is showing us a picture of how He deals with His people. That's what great is going on here. He's saying, you know what? I loved Simeon so much. As his father, as his God who was watching him, listening to him, pray and seeing his life. I loved him enough to say, you know what? I'm going to let you live to see the coming of Messiah. Luke, it was just a sweet gift from God. That's all. And you might go, is that all? Oh, folks. That's, a, that's, that's what our life should be. Understanding that our blessings are sweet, continual gifts from God. It seems as though God is simply giving us a glimpse into how He loves His people. Doesn't He love us people? Doesn't He love you? Oh, how good He is to us. I know He's good to me. Again and again, He visits me, showing me His hand, showing His love for me as His Son. Again and again, I am delighted by the multitude of the blessings He pours out on me. This is what He did for Simeon. He guided him somehow. We don't know that part of the story. We don't know if he was out working in his garden and, you know, whatever, and he, and, and he gets a feeling and he goes to the tent. We don't know exactly what happened. Commentators have their theories. No, it doesn't tell us. But somehow God took him from where he wasn't to, to the temple so he could be there at that precise moment. This good man was no doubt going about the simple, ordinary tasks of his life when God guided him in there into his presence for this blessed moment. And when he saw that moment come, he knew what to do with it. He didn't just go, wow, oh, oh this was unexpected. You know what he does? Derek, he grabs that baby. Now, this may have even alarmed Joseph and Mary. He grabs this baby. He takes him up into his arms. 
and he blesses God. Could you, I can just see this old man. He's 84 years old. He's just, he's devout. He's been looking and he picks up this baby and he knew. He's like, this is it. This is what God told me he was going to do. And it's happening right now. I don't know how he knew it. Maybe the artists that paint pictures of Jesus glowing, maybe he glowed to Simeon and he was just like, wow, that's him. And he picks him up and he says, oh, Lord, he said, let your servant depart in peace according to thy word. Oh, I'm ready to die right now. Isn't that how God makes you feel sometimes when he blesses you? Now I can die. God's been so good to me so many times that I have said this very thing more than once. I remember when God gave my wife to me. My life had been filled with a lot of pain for years and I was like, you love me that much. I'm like, I can just die right now. I don't need anything else. I don't need any more blessings. I don't need any more rewards. You've given me my sweet, beautiful wife. I don't need anything else. But you know, God wasn't done blessing me. He was not done blessing this man and he let him live a little bit more. I mean, God could have. He could have blessed the baby and he could have died right then, right? God would have fulfilled his promise. But God gave him more than he even told him. Not only did his eyes look upon him, he was able to hold him in his hands. He was able to lift him up and praise the Lord. And then he was able to do something else. He was able to bless Joseph and Mary and prophesy about what was going to happen next. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all thy people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. In this moment of blessing for this man of God, he begins, the Holy Spirit begins to speak through his mouth and he begins to prophesy true prophecy about Christ. In so much so, verse 33, that Joseph and his mother marveled at the things which were spoken of him. They had seen angels and they were marveling at the words coming out of this 84 or 80 some year old man. Full to the overflowing, Simeon did what righteous people do. He gave. Righteous people don't take all of God's blessings and hoard them. They share them with others. And so Simeon blesses the couple. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them. He said, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. If you want to be a righteous man or woman, use your mouth to bless others. Be a fountain of the Spirit of God. Pour yourself out verbally like water and you will no doubt see an increase from your righteous labors. These are the rewards of righteous, Brother Steve. And you do that, brother. You, you use your mouth. You bless me with it all the time. Sometimes I'm dry and I need a little encouragement. And brother Steve will call me or text me. And he'll just say, I love you, brother. That's what righteous people do, buddy. They use their mouth to, instead of criticize people, they bless people. They love people. They pour out like water on people. And bless the dryness of their souls. I could say so much more about this man, but let's turn our attention to our sweet sister Anna who God introduces us to in uh, the next verse here in Luke chapter 2. Now yesterday was my beautiful little Anna's birthday. She turned 13. And may God make her as beautiful in heart as she is to my eyes. May God make her beautiful like this woman we will read about here in verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. Now, we are not sure from the text alone fully what it meant that she was a prophetess. I looked up this quite a bit and we could talk about it and I think we would be distracted if we did. But it says that she was one. One commentator said that he thought it so strange that in, an, that in a testament where there were no more prophets that we should start with a prophetess. At the beginning of the story of the, the Christ child. But I don't believe that she was a, you know, a woman who went around preaching messages or went around trying to have authority over men. I believe she was a woman who God would fill with His Spirit and she would speak it. 
She would talk about His goodness and His mercy. And the words that would come out of her mouth would be lovely and beautiful words. I believe that's certainly what every prophet does. They speak God's Word. This would be fitting for a godly woman. She had given her heart and life fully to God and found all that she needed at His feet. She had found the wealth we all dream of in the poverty of her widowhood. She had been married just seven years when God took her husband. God extols and verifies this woman's purity in saying that she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, pointing out her fidelity in marriage and before marriage. She was a righteous woman. God rewards the righteous, and He was about to reward this woman. And to make this point even more sharp, we can move on to the next verse and see what it says. It says in verse 37, she was a widow of about four score and four years old. She was actually 84. Sorry, I got the two in my mind a few minutes ago kind of tangled up. She was 84 years old and she departed not from the temple. Everybody say she departed not from the temple. Now this is not to say that there were bedrooms in the temple. Or that she slept on this floor in the inner court or anything like that. But what it really means is it means that she loved the things of God and that she was always at prayer and she was always ready to hear the Word of God and she was always there. You know, you ever heard someone say, you know, they, they, if the door's open, they're there. And whatever's going on, they want to be there. They're right in the middle of it all. You could say the same thing. She wanted to be right there. She wanted to be in the church. She wanted to be with the people of God. She wanted to be before the Lord, and she was. She departed not from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayer night and day. This was a woman of prayer and fastings because that's what righteous people do. They pray and they fast. Instead of remarrying as she could have done when her husband died, it seems that she wed herself to God. If you think I've gone a little too far in saying that, I'll read for you Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one that bearest not, and break forth into singing. Cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child. This is talking about a woman who was widowed without ever giving birth to children. Cry out, sing aloud, thou did not travail with child, for more are the children of desolate than the children of a married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy strings. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and they shall, thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make desolate the cities of the inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and thou shalt no more remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God over all the earth. For God hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith God. Psalm 54, I believe, is a prophecy that prophesies even about this woman who talks about her, a woman who loses her husband in youth, but instead she gives her life to God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with the everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith thy Redeemer. This woman departed not from the temple, but she served God with fasting. In prayer, night and day. Oh, beloved, those who, like Paul, long to be found in him, as Andy quoted for us today, not having your own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. As Paul said in Philippians 3, 9, you know how these things come? They come through prayer and fasting and calling upon God and depending upon God, and refusing the pleasures of the world, but saying, oh God, I find pleasure in you. The pleasures of the world are fleeting. They are passing. They will go, go away from you and leave you estranged like a widow. But the pleasures of God are not like that. They are not and will not disappoint us. Denying the flesh, pressing in, desiring to know Him, to live a godly, righteous life, 
These pursuits will not be works that will go unrewarded. Paul said that I may know Him. Folks, this is how we press toward the mark. This is why we run. It is not to obtain our salvation, but to know the beauty of God's holiness and the riches of His grace. This was the life that Anna was living. Now 84, old like Simeon, years of pursuing holiness. God rewarded her as she, He did him. But she didn't need to be guided to the temple because she never left it. And I love how God takes this story to a degree. Remember how the Holy Spirit guided Anna to, or guided Simeon to the temple? Well, she didn't need to be guided in because she never left it. She was right there. Verse 38, And she coming in, that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and she began to speak of Him and, and to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She was a virtuous woman. Everybody say righteousness has its own rewards. And God rewarded Simeon and He rewarded Anna and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary. And He will reward you. He is looking at you. He is seeing what you are doing. And He knows. He hears your cries and your prayers in the midnight. He knows the sacrifices that you make to serve Him. The hardship that you endure. And God will reward you. Psalm 58 says, when he does, that psalm, a lot of it seemed to be about negative things, but he's saying, you know what? When the righteous does right, God rewards. God's going to reward also the wicked. But when he rewards the righteousness, people say, surely there is a God in heaven and he has seen the good that these people do and he has blessed them. It gives glory to God when you are blessed, when good things happen to you because people say in their hearts, Indeed, there is a God who has been watching and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Let us pray. Lord, you said in your word that without faith it is impossible to please you. That he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Lord, if that's what faith is, Lord, give us faith. May we live like people who believe that we will be rewarded for seeking Him, seeking You diligently, Lord. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that every man, woman, and child in this place would seek the rewards of heaven that we would set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth. That we would flee the lusts that our body drives us toward and we would run and we would mount up with wings as eagles as we follow on the paths of holiness and righteousness. And I ask these things in your name. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Amen.